Kyle's Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I know, I know we have not done Q&A in an unbelievably long period of time. Like, I'm fully, fully aware that seemingly we've had a bunch of really important things to talk about, so we haven't gotten to any of your questions, but we're going to get into that today. So we're going to do about, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 questions. That's essentially what we do. Um, not sure how this is going to go because we got questions and they're all over the place and I can't even remember what most of them are, but let's see how it goes. Let's dive in. First question of the day, what are your thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic? So, um, I've gotten this question or some form of it a lot. Uh, Guys, if you go back to episode 127 of this podcast, uh, you know, it's called what COVID-19 is doing to us. I go into a lot of detail there, but I don't get into a lot of the detail in terms of like the ins and outs of what's going on and in the Trump press conferences or any things that's being, being said in the media. And so I've thought a lot about this question. And so I've got a bunch of random thoughts and guys, these are not in any particular order whatsoever. There's not a crescendo at the end. I don't even know what the last thing I'm going to say is. But I have had a lot of thoughts and I've been taking in a lot of content because anywhere you look, that's the content you're getting right now is COVID-19, coronavirus. And what are we going to do? What's America doing? What's China doing? All these different things. Are we going to stop giving money to the World Health Organization? Whatever the situation might be. But there's a lot of of random things that I've thought about. So let me just kind of get into some of those thoughts. The first thing is um, we should all be very skeptical of the World Health Organization. Um, It's very concerning to hear some of the things that they've been saying and the water that they've been carrying for China. Uh, and China pays a considerably less uh, amount than than what the United States does. I think the United States puts about five hundred million dollars a year uh, for the World Health Organization, and China does like you know thirty or forty million, maybe fifty million a year. And yet, anytime there's something the World Health Organi- Organization can do to be uh, complimentary of the authoritarian regime there, that they do it. So I think we should be very concerned about that. Another thought is um, I cannot imagine just how painful it must be for people that are actually dying from this uh and they're dying alone and they're they're dying away from their loved ones and just the the pain that they have to be going through emotionally but cer- certainly for the pain that the family members are going through as well there's no uh deathbed goodbyes there's they're not even there and and I haven't heard any stories of any hospitals. I'm I'm sure they're doing some of this. I would think so, but maybe doing some sort of a FaceTime or, or some sort of a Zoom call with their family members or, or just something like that. So there's at least some sort of presence felt, even though it's over the interwebs or whatever. Uh, but that's just got to be absolutely crushing and unbelievable. Most of us, when we do think about death and the family members in our lives that we might lose, um, the family members that we have lost, there's at least that time you got to spend with them. And I mean, I remember when, when my great grandmother passed away, I came to the house and I asked if everybody could leave the room. I just want to spend some time with her alone, you know, just a couple of minutes. And I just sat there and talked to her. And I don't know if she could hear me because she was really, um, to be fair, she was, she was days away from death at that point. And, but that, that really wasn't the point. I got to spend some time with my grandma, Bonnie, and you know, it just kind of is what it is. And there's tens of thousands of families, uh, at this point where, you know, nurses and doctors can go into the room, but husbands and wives can't, or kids can't, or, or grandkids can't. And so that's got to be absolutely crushing. Um, the next random thought here is without a doubt, without a doubt, excluding China, which we'll get to, the death toll numbers that you're hearing will be much higher than reality. Because here's the thing China is lying. Like, oh, they, this week, or I guess by the time you're listening to this, it'll be last week, you know, they've reopened Wuhan and, oh, they've done such a great job. And the U S has the most deaths out of any country in the world. Yeah. My butt, you've got to be kidding me. If you believe that I got a bridge in Brooklyn, I can sell you. But at the same time, you can't believe China's numbers. Anything that they say, they are an atheistic authoritarian communist regime. You can't, you can't at all agree with any of the things that they're saying, but many reports in the world of people dying are actually uh, inaccurately being reported and being counted. There are people that are dying with COVID-19. We've seen reports of this all over the world, so I'm not making this up. I'm not some sort of truther, right? There are people in the world that are dying with COVID-19, but they're not dying from COVID-19. And yet they're still being counted as COVID-19 victims. So if you extrapolate that out a little bit, you might have people that actually died of a heart attack they they died of some sort of uh you know lung issue but they tested positive for covid-19 so their death is being counted as a covid-19 death even if their death is not directly caused by covid-19 so guys without a doubt the death toll numbers that we're being told are are much higher than reality 
Uh, the next random thought is screw China. Yeah, just screw China. Not the people of China. Mind you, that's not what I'm saying. Screw communism. Screw authoritarianism. Screw atheism. The thing about it is because of authoritarianism and communism, all things that I just said, there's a lot more people that are going to die. I mean, I mean, a whole lot more people that are going to die. They, they pushed everybody off. You know, they, they've, they've got something on the World Health Organization, so they weren't able to kind of come in there. The, the doctors that were trying to sound the alarm got disappeared, right? And then we've got all of these people that are traveling, traveling into and out of China for weeks and weeks, if not months at a time before it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of out of our hands. We, we don't really know how to tamp this down because they're trying to keep the, the party in power, the communist party that's in power. They want to keep them in the good graces of everybody. And they want to make sure that nobody looks at them like they don't have everything figured out. Right. And there was one report and guys, I tried to find it. And if I could find it before the release of this episode, I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. But there was a, there was this thing that broke down when China basically sounded the alarm and what would have happened if they had gone back one week at a time and done it one week earlier or two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier. And what this study found, and, and again, we, we don't know the model or any of those types of things. I'll try to find it for you. That if China had swallowed their pride and three weeks prior, just three weeks prior, sounded the alarm that 95% of the fatalities that we are going to experience as a globe because of coronavirus could have been avoided. I mean, just think about that. Let's say 100,000 people end up dying in the United States, which it's going to be considerably less than that, but let's say it's 100,000. That number could have been 5,000. I mean, not even a blip on the radar. Every single one of those lives is incredibly important. Those are all people that have the Omega day. Uh, but at the same time, like that, that doesn't even like come into our consciousness. We don't even think about that. But all because of how China is and how they carry themselves, we, we've got this global pandemic that is crushing everybody. So yeah, screw China. Next random thought is Americans can't do math. And, and some of this is the media just, just being bad at their jobs and being evil. But some of this is just, and people are like, oh my gosh, we, we're, we're, we're the worst at it. What is the Trump administration doing? What is the government doing? What is my mayor doing? What are all these people doing? All the, we have more cases than anywhere else in the world. Again, you're assuming that China's numbers are accurate, which you're a moron if you believe that. But the thing is, guys, is when you test more people, more people will test positive. Right? There's a numerator and a denominator, and we're not concerned about both equally. And so I've just been astonished when I see people online and I've tried not to, I have not engaged with anybody's commentary online, but it's like, yeah, if you, if you test more people than anybody on the planet, presumably you will get more positive tests than anybody else on the planet, right? That, that's just basic, simple math. Another random thought here is without a doubt, without a doubt, including China, the number of COVID-19 positive cases will be much lower than reality, much lower than reality. Because here's the thing. All the available data shows that a potentially enormous amount of people globally have actually contracted the virus and were asymptomatic and or had no complications whatsoever. And so whatever the number ends up being, so when we're sitting here a year from now, you know, it's, it's April, 2021, and we're sitting here and we're looking at the numbers of people that had coronavirus, the number of people that were infected with this guys, guys. Like th that number is not even close to being the real number. The number is going to be significantly higher than that, significantly higher than that. And the thing about it is, is the reason why I say that the number of positive cases will be lower than reality is because exactly that point. There have been so many people that got sick in November and December of January of last year, and they're convinced that they had COVID-19. Now they may have just had the seasonal flu. They may have just had a really, really bad cold, but certainly a lot of those people had COVID-19. And there's a lot of people, and we'll be able to see this when we start to get the antibody test. There's going to be a lot of people that have tested, not tested negative, but a lot of people that never got tested that actually had the virus, didn't even know it, and just moved on with their lives, right? So that's going to be an issue for us moving forward. We'll have to reckon with that. Another random thought here is in a way, our willingness to tank the United States economy to save lives actually proves that we all have an inherent belief in the sanctity of human life. So I wish Democrats, I wish, wish pro-abortion Democrats would think about that. I mean, we've literally tanked, let's just talk about America. We have tanked the U.S. economy in a way, we did it on purpose. This wasn't just the Great Depression. This wasn't something that just happened. We did it on purpose to save lives. I mean, just think about that. I mean, I think that's a, that's a big thing is we do have this inherent belief that human life is, is this special thing that we should protect. 
unless it's in the womb, at which point we think we can destroy it and there's no issues. The next random thought here is the media has been and continues to be absolutely horrific. Like when I'm watching these, uh, these press conferences every day, sometimes I'm, I'm watching for the information. Sometimes I'm watching for the sparring between Donald Trump and the rest of the people in the room. But the thing about it is, is the questions he's being asked are just so crazy. Like I, I, I can't wait for the time in the press conference when he's asked a question by a journalist that's just trying to report the news just trying to report the facts because I can learn from those. I can learn from the answers given either by Dr. Burks or Dr. Fauci or the vice president or the president. I can listen and learn something. But when he's being asked, uh, Mr. President, what would you say to the people that don't like your rhetoric? You know, uh, then you got the guy asking the question about Tiger King, which was funny. It was, it was a nice reprieve and everybody had a nice chuckle, but that guy, you're, you're one of a handful of people in the room and you ask him about Tiger King. What's your, what? What's your deal? But, but the worst one was, was, uh, here recently, it was a PBS reporter that was basically calling the Trump administration and the surgeon general racist because this, uh, this virus is apparently affecting, uh, the black and brown communities in, uh, higher, uh, per capita ways than it is other communities, the Asian or the white communities. But the, uh, the surgeon general said, Hey, make sure you tell your, your, your pop pop and, and your gam gam and your whatever. And he was just using like nicknames for what people call grandma and grandpa. And he was labeled a racist for this. And, and they asked him about this in the press conference. Uh, don't you think you're being a little racist or what would you have to say to the people that think that that was racially charged information? Well, if you aren't aware guys, the surgeon general is black. And what he was saying was the names that he calls people in his family or people in his family call their grandparents. That's what he was saying. He was using it as just kind of a colloquialism to be like, Hey, whatever you call grandma and grandpa, whether you call them grandma, grandpa, gam, gam, Anna, like whatever the situation is, make sure you talk to them about this. They've got to be taking care of themselves at this time. But the media has just been terrible. And so uh, time will tell whether this time period has been good for the Trump administration and good for the Democrats or bad for either. But at the same time, man, it's just, it's hard to watch when all you want is the straight news and the facts and you get this nonsense. The next thing, uh, just kind of another random thought is when they tell you to trust the experts, quote unquote, trust the experts, don't just do that blindly. I mean, the modeling has been flawed the entire way. I remember watching, there was a one week segment where the proposed deaths and, and these deaths did include, they did include people doing social distancing. One of the models was saying that there was going to be over 200,000 deaths in the United States. And within a week, that number went down to 60,000 deaths and nothing changed in terms of what we were doing. We didn't all of a sudden super social distance. We all of a sudden didn't super quarantine, right? I mean. They, and these people like, oh, the experts, oh, well, our initial uh, calculations uh, must not have been blah, blah, blah. The thing is, is these people are experts, but they're not infallible. And guys, don't let the media or morons on Twitter fool you. This is one thing that I've heard. I even heard it in my own house. Whenever people are saying the models that had all these super high death rate proposals didn't include social distancing and quarantine measures, they did include them. They said, this is what we're looking at if we do these things. Those are the main models that people are citing. So you got to be careful when you just trust the experts. Next one here is the shut everything down people. Like let's shut everything down. Um, these people have the unknowns of counterfactuals as their ace of spades. So they think. So, so just let me kind of talk about that a little bit more here. This is how it kind of goes. If this ends up being relatively minor. So, so let's say the death rate in the United States is approximately or similar to the seasonal flu, right? That would, I guess you would consider that to be relatively minor, right? They're going to say it's because we shut everything down. Look how great we are. We shut everything down. We tamp this down. We crush the curve. It is what it is. The problem with that is there is no counterfactual to challenge them with, right? Because we don't have an entire country like the United States that has shut nothing down and had the same number of people coming in and out, we can't prove the counterfactual. And so that's the thing that I was concerned about from the beginning is I, I thought that this may have been a little bit outsized and, and it might have been a little bit of an overreaction, certainly shutting down the entire world uh, because of a virus. I, I thought that was a little bit, I thought that was maybe a little bit silly, but the thing is, is I can't be proven right. But the people that are the shut everything down people, they think they can prove me wrong, right? So that's something interesting to think about. Another thing here is uh, this, this idea, and I'm flowing a little bit longer on this. Uh, I promise guys, we got a bunch of questions about stuff, not COVID-19 related, but I'm just kind of on a roll here. Another random idea I had was 
there's this idea that, you know, uh, we're willing to destroy the entire world economy, even if it saves one person's life. But guys, that's nonsense. And, and I'm not saying that I disagree with the statement. I'm saying that we don't actually believe that. No one actually believes that. And, and this is how I can prove it to you is because we have to look at other deaths inside the United States. So I'm just going to run these down. These are from the CDC guys. So don't try and check me later, but here's the deal in the United States every year. Alcohol abuse deaths accounts for around 90,000 deaths a year. And all these stats are going to be up and down depending on the year, but around 90,000 deaths. So do you guys want to go back to prohibition? I mean, if, if we can do things as a government and as a people to even save one life, isn't it worth it to just have no beer or whiskey available anywhere at all? Is anybody willing to do that? How about diabetes related deaths every year in the United States around 80,000 people? Do you guys want to shut down every fast food restaurant, every ice cream shop? Do you want to get rid of television? And, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, what about the people that were born with diabetes? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that develop diabetes because they're really, really fat and really, really sedentary. Do we get rid of Netflix? Cause we're afraid these people are just going to sit on the couch and binge watch, you know, Tiger King, as opposed to getting outside and exercising. I mean, are we willing to get rid of that? This is one that's been thrown out a lot. How about car accident deaths in the United States? Around 40,000 deaths a year. Do you guys want to take the speed limit down to five miles per hour worldwide? Do you want to get rid of highways? Like, I don't hear anybody clamoring like, hey, we need to get rid of any, you know, any uh, miles per hour, any speed limit over 10 because that's way too dangerous. We don't hear that. How about the seasonal flu? Between, you know, 30 and 60,000 people a year die of the seasonal flu. Should we quarantine every winter from now on? Should we? Because that's the thing is we do know that it does uh, ramp up in the winter and it does, you know, go down whenever the, the weather gets warmer. Like, are we willing to do any of the things that I just suggested? Because the thing is, is every life is important. Every life, it, there, there is sanctity in that life from the moment of conception. But this idea as a people, as a macro people, the people of the world and all the different belief systems that were willing to destroy the entire world economy just to save one life, nobody believes that. You would not be willing to give up your car that can go over a hundred miles an hour, right? Your, your standard four banger that, you know, you, you bought back in 2004, that car can go over hundred miles an hour on the highway. <laughs> Are you willing to give that up just to save one life? Like, I just, I don't buy it when people are saying that, that it just doesn't seem to make, make a lot of sense to me. And this idea that you have to have one or the other, I don't really like that rhetoric either. It's either this or that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The next thing uh, that I think just a couple more thoughts here on COVID-19 is we should really be concerned about government overreach. And I'm not going to get into any tinfoil hat conspiracy theory stuff, even though a lot of this stinks to high heaven. But uh, here recently, the, the governor of Georgia was given full power, basically full unchecked power to do whatever they saw fit to deal with the COVID-19 stuff. That's a little bit concerning. There, there's a virus going around that, you know, a few dozen people are dying of in your state. And all of a sudden you just give the governor full power to do whatever they choose to do. I'd be really concerned about that. You know, we've seen stories of overreach by law enforcement and, and just not, maybe not overreach because they're within the rights apparently, but I saw cops writing $500 tickets to people that were sitting in their cars in the church parking lot. So basically following the standards of social distancing, they, they received $500 tickets to be paid to that local municipality. There, there was a man. And again, with some of these, we don't know what was happening before, you know, may come out in the wash, but there was a man that was arrested in a park for playing T-ball with his daughter. It's literally him and his daughter in the park. He's putting the ball on the tee and cops come up and, and they arrest this guy for not properly social distancing. This is his daughter. They live in the same home together. He was arrested in front of his daughter. He's screaming at his daughter, trying to calm her down as she's freaking out as his, as her dad's being arrested right? There was a man, I saw a video of this. There was a man that was not wearing a mask, you know, to cover his face. He was physically pulled off of a bus in Philadelphia by like four cops. And as I'm watching this video, the first thing I thought of is, okay, something probably happened before this. You know, someone starts their video late. It's just another one of those things trying to make cops look bad. But the thing about it is, is if this guy had broken the law and done something heinous, so heinous that he had to be manhandled off of a bus in Philadelphia, don't you think they would immediately put this guy in handcuffs? But wait, they didn't. As soon as they get him out of the bus and the guy stops fighting him, they just let him go. 
cops just kind of walk away. This guy's like, are you kidding me? Like the, he didn't do anything that, that broke the law that would make them arrest him. And this is in the same city where they're literally letting these violent criminals are, they're calling some of them nonviolent. They're letting criminals loose out of the jails because they don't want this COVID-19 to have an outbreak within the jail system. We got to be really concerned about that guys. Because if, if there's some, a virus that goes around, that's about as deadly as the seasonal flu. And that causes the government to basically usurp all of your rights and take their powers and, and use them against you, man, why would you sign up for that? And the last thing here, uh, we're, we're kind of getting a free trial, I guess you could say of what living under an authoritarian government looks like. So I was listening to an interview with a guy named Jeffrey A. Tucker, and he pointed out some great things, and it's caused me to think about it a lot over the last several uh, weeks uh, and days especially, is the, the point he was making is that we don't technically have rights. We don't. We think we do, but we don't. Because here's the thing, and we, you know this as Christians, but a right is something that you actually own because you're a human. God gave it to you. It's unalienable right? These are your rights. It's not granted to you by the government. But apparently, as we've learned over the last several weeks, we don't have the right to property because guess what? You own the property that you run your business out of. The government can just come in and say, oh, your business isn't essential. Close the doors. Well, by the way, don't even show up here. We don't actually have the right to assembly. We, we, we can't, we don't have the right to assemble, right? Because the government can say, oh, well, you know, if it's a group of more than two or three people, we got to break that up because uh, coronavirus. We apparently don't have the right even to leave our homes. There are some communities that are tamping down to such an extreme degree that they're not letting people leave their homes. I mean, even look in China, there are examples of that ridiculously evil regime, literally like not, I mean, they're keeping people in their homes, like basically welding them in place. Right. Hey, we'll slip you food under the door kind of a situation. Right. So for any of you people that are big communism people, you love communism, you think socialism is a great idea. You think there's a difference between socialism and democratic socialism. When you, when you think, you know, the government taking over the means of production is a great idea. Look back at this time period and ask yourself, was this all enjoyable? Having the government tell you where you can go and where you can't go. Hey, sorry, you can't, you know, run in the park. Hey, sorry, you can't leave your house. Hey, sorry, you can't run your business and make a living. Sorry, I don't want to sign up for that. So ah, there are some more uh, quarantine-ish related questions that I'm sure uh, that I remember that were on this list, but there's just kind of my random thoughts on the COVID-19 stuff. So let's move on from there. Uh, Well, here we go. Next one is about quarantine. So what do you miss the most during quarantine? Uh, what do you miss doing the most during quarantine? So for me, that's an easy one. It's training jujitsu. Uh, that's the thing with jujitsu is if you suffer an injury or maybe you're gone for, you know, two or three weeks from the gym, everything on you starts to get softer. And, and I don't mean like, ah, uh, you know, my muscles got softer or whatever. I mean like your skin, like you have calluses on, on the tops of your fingers and on your toes and on your feet and hands and on your elbows that you didn't even realize were there. Until the next time you put a gi on and you, you get roughed up a little bit in class and then you realize, oh crap, <laughs> you got blisters everywhere. You got cuts everywhere. And so whenever you have that time away from the gym, there's just kind of the practical side of that. But even beyond that, just the training, part of the thing about jujitsu is part of how it gets cemented in your brain is just training it often. Cause some of our more advanced guys in the gym, whenever they come back, you know, they'll have to get recalloused up a little bit, but you know, their brains are going to work just fine. They're still going to work their offense and defense and, and all those things are, are going to be okay. But for a guy like me, who's only been training for about three years, you know, there are things that you just forget. You kind of fall in love with a few positions, a few takedowns, a, a few uh, moves that you like to hit on specific types of opponents. And then you come back and everything's just a little bit clunky. So I certainly miss training jujitsu more than just about anything right now. Next question here. Is God showing you anything during quarantine? Um, so I would assume that God's communicating with a lot of us in a lot of very interesting ways during this time period. I would say for me specifically, um, I guess you could say he's showing me how much I should be dependent upon him and how I should be, I should recognize when I'm getting a blessing that came from him. Because there's been some things that have not broken my way over the last year, year and a half as it pertains to finances and business. But here recently, there have been more things and, you know, knock on wood, uh, that have broken my way. 
And so you might think it's like, ah, well, gosh, it's because you're just so good. And, you know, you know, you put the happy thoughts into the atmosphere, it attaches the other happy thoughts and it rains down blessings on you. Well, that's, that's not real. That's not realistic. But this is a time where, um, I, my wife and I, as we lead into getting our first kid welcomed to to the world, where we could be in a pretty bad spot, considering how some of our businesses and some of the things that we normally do to make money have been shot shot down and shut down by the government. And so, um, I would say that it's just this overwhelming recognition that God's got us, that He's going to take care of us, and probably most importantly, let's say things didn't break my way uh, during this time period. Okay, let, let's say it went the opposite direction. That doesn't make God any less real or any more real. It's just a different situation. And so I guess that, that's what he's been showing me. All right, next question here. What do you think of Dana White creating Fight Island? And uh, should the UFC even be doing fights right now? So uh, for those of you that have been keeping up, there was a fight card that was supposed to happen in Brooklyn uh, where it was going to be Habib versus Tony. And as a lot of people predicted, there was going to be something that happened. And it took a global pandemic basically to make sure that that fight didn't happen. So it was canceled for a record fifth time. But they were trying to keep that card together. They brought in Justin Gaethje to fight against Tony Ferguson. Uh, but about a week and a half before that fight was supposed to go down and undisclosed location and then they disclosed it like an Indian land somewhere in California. Apparently Gavin Newsom, the, the governor of California, called the Disney and ESPN executives and said, hey, tell Dana White to chill out, blah, blah, blah. So that card was canceled. But as of right now, Dana White is adamant that within the next month or so, he has secured a private island in international waters that will house fights. And just to be honest, I think that's freaking awesome. Because at the end of the day, Nobody is being forced to fight. It's kind of the same argument I use when people are like, why don't they pay college athletes amongst all the other dumb reasons that people give? The the biggest thing is because the, the reason why I say no is because they're choosing to do that. You choose to play a college sport as a amateur athlete. No, you're not going to be paid a salary to do that. Just chill out, relax. But at the same time, these fighters don't have to fight right now. So if they're overly concerned about being around another fighter, if they don't trust the the uh, testing mechanisms that surely the UFC will have in place for its fighters, for its coaches, for the referees, for the judges, for the camera people, for everyone. If you don't trust it, then just don't fight. And so for me, you know, I didn't have any problems with the UFC, you know, even doing that, that fight at that, uh, at the location in California. And so for me, I think it's super gangster what Dana White's trying to pull off. He's trying to be the first sport to come back and they've got a lot of fights that they've got all, got to put on for their UFC contract with, with ESPN. So they're going to be trying to put on fights every single week. They might even double up some weeks, right? I think that's great. So should the UFC even be doing fights right now? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why wouldn't they do fights right now? Again, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing with coronavirus is good, but a lot of it is is overboard. And so this idea that every sport on the planet should not do anything at, at, at any point until the government says it's okay, I think it's hogwash. It's ridiculous. But even beyond that, why if fighter A and fighter B are both, both tested for coronavirus, both come back negative, judge one, two, and three, all test negative for coronavirus, and the referee, all test negative for coronavirus. Why can't those people be there? Why can't they fight? Why can't they make a living fighting? Guys, fighters don't make money unless they fight. Unless you're you're in the PFL, it's a slightly different thing. Those guys have kind of a salary system, but it is all based on the fact that those guys will fight eventually, right? So I think it's awesome what he's doing. All right, next one here. How does the cancellation or postponement of most of the UFC events for this summer affect the 2020 Conor McGregor season? Okay, so um, Conor McGregor has talked about coming into this year, and he obviously fought uh, Cowboy Cerrone in January and destroyed him. Uh, that 2020 was going to be a season that he wanted to fight three times. It would be a season he would leave uh, with one, if not multiple belts, whatever the situation may be. The thing about it is, is whenever Tony and Habib got canceled because Habib was quote unquote stuck in Russia, um, automatically when they brought Justin Gaethje in, I thought that was going to be a problem for Conor because all the rumblings were that Conor was going to fight Justin Gaethje this summer. And then Tony and Habib would have fought a month or two before that. And then basically the winners of those two matches would face each other later this year. Well, if you don't know, Habib is a Muslim. And so he doesn't fight for the months leading up to Ramadan, doesn't fight until after Ramadan. So he's at the earliest going to be able to come back in like September. The thing about it is, is right now, since they pushed those fights back, I don't think they're going to let Justin Gaethje fight Tony Ferguson anymore. You may as well put Tony Ferguson back on the calendar with Habib. May as well make that happen. 
right? But if that doesn't happen, essentially what we're looking at is Conor McGregor doesn't really have a dance partner. That makes sense because I don't necessarily want to see him fight Jorge Masvidal. Um, the Nate Diaz thing, I don't think the UFC wants to deal with having to, to to figure out how to get to convince Nate Diaz to get in there and fight. And another thing is in those fights, you know, both of those guys took quite a bit of damage. And so the idea that Connor could bounce right back and fight Habib or Tony Ferguson later on this year, I think is a little bit dubious. But at the same time, I guess the best answer to this is who the heck knows? Like who knows what this is going to do? Because let's say Fight Island doesn't work out. Let's say the UFC doesn't want to have Conor McGregor fight in an empty arena or on a beach at an, on an island somewhere because they're going to miss out on all the money that they get from a Conor McGregor gate. We may not see Conor McGregor fight at all in 2020. And if he has to wait until the end of the year, there's seemingly two guys in line ahead of him to fight Habib, and that's Tony and Justin Gaethje. So who the heck knows? I'm not sure. Next question here. Does Joe Biden pose a legitimate threat against Donald Trump in 2020? Um, so yes, easy answer. Yes. Um, I realize and recognize that Joe Biden is barely alive at this point. Um, he is certainly on a mental decline. Um, it seems to be speeding up as time goes along. I think it's unfair that the people around him even let him get into the race. And I'm talking about years ago, whenever basically they decided that Joe Biden was going to run for president. Uh, It was obvious that the Democratic establishment did not want someone like Bernie Sanders, a dirty, rotten communist to, to represent the party who's not even a Democrat. But the reason why Joe Biden has a chance against Donald Trump is because this is what I think he's going to do. I do not think he is going to debate Donald Trump. So typically there's about three debates in the run up to the general election. I don't think Joe Biden's going to even do that against Donald Trump. I think he's going to say, if I debate this man, I'm legitimizing him and his white supremacy and his Nazi and his blah, 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 whatever things he wants to say. So I'm not even going to debate him. And people from the New York Times and MSNBC, they're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't legitimize that racist. Don't do whatever that they're going to end up saying. And The reason is, is because if Joe Biden goes in there in a debate against Donald Trump, Donald Trump will eat him alive. And I'm not saying that's because Donald Trump is some sort of master at debate or any of those types of things. It's just because he's a bully and he's going to see weakness in his opponent and he's going to exploit it. It it would be a bloodbath if he actually got on national television with Trump on the other side of the dais. It's it's just not really going to work. But if he does something like that, if he can stay out of the limelight, if he could not talk very much on live television, if he could stay on the teleprompter, if he could keep his hands off women, and I'm talking about Joe Biden, uh, by the way, if he can do all those things, he can absolutely beat Donald Trump. Because the hatred of Donald Trump in this country is so high. And Donald Trump always had an ace of spades, and that ace of spades was the economy. And then coronavirus happened. Now, as I've, as I've mentioned before, typically in an election year, a general election year, the economy stagnates a little bit and comes down just a hair. Everybody kind of holds their breath to wait to see who's going to be elected, right? If it's a blue tie, odd ah, businesses are not terribly happy about that. If it's a red tie, they're happier, you know, less regulation. We could build more, do more. But now we've had record unemployment for multiple weeks in a row. The idea that the government is, or that the economy, the United States economy is just going to have a V-shape uptick or even a a short U-shape uptick, I don't think is very realistic. But at the same time, that was always the thing that Trump had was, hey, look how great I am with the economy. Now, no one's blaming him for, well, I'd say no one's blaming him. There's actually a lot of people that are blaming him for the coronavirus and the things that we've done or not done up to this point and all those situations. But at the same time, it makes him very vulnerable in a general election. Because Joe Biden is basically a dead person that wears a suit and is rolled around from one speaking gig to the next speaking gig. But generic Democrat can beat Donald Trump. He can. Donald Trump was not this this, uh, amazing candidate in 2016. Hillary Clinton was just so off-putting and so awful. So, yes, he poses a legitimate threat. The scary part about it is, is if he is elected, he's not really the one that has the power. It's going to be his cabinet. Because he's going to be basically wheeled into a different room in the White House and said, hey, here's some Play-Doh, you know, uh, make some make some stuff, make some uh, sculptures and all that. And we'll come back in here in about seven or eight months and we'll check on you kind of a deal. And I'm not really terribly excited about the people that we have on his cabinet. So, yes, he does pose a real threat. All right. Next question here. 
What do you think of the reports that the Major League Baseball season will be started with all 30 teams in Arizona without American League and National League delineation? So I actually did see that report recently. Uh, I don't put a lot of weight in that report, but let's just say that that were true. So uh, the Salt River Fields, I think is what they're called uh, there in Arizona. It's a tremendous facility and they could absolutely pull it off. You know, if the NBA was able to get all these coronavirus tests whenever you, the general public, cannot get them, I guarantee you that they can get those same tests to all of the players and coaches for Major League Baseball and umpires, right? So they could feasibly start the the games in Arizona, and then at some point, whenever the government realizes that this is uh, not as bad as everybody thought it would be, everybody kind of go back to what you're doing. I don't know if we're going to be seeing you know, 40,000 people uh, for a, you know, Cubs Cardinals game in St. Louis, you know, in the middle of August. I don't know if we're going to see that, but yeah, I'd be fine with that. The thing I am interested in seeing is if they do try to do something like this, not having any American league or national league delineation whatsoever. So for those of you that don't really follow baseball closely, the biggest differences between those two leagues is in the American league, they have something called the designated hitter. So overwhelmingly, basically the pitchers in the American league do not hit for themselves. There is somebody who is a designated hitter that does not play the field, but they do hit for the pitcher's spot. In the National League, the pitcher hits for himself. I hate this. I'm a National League guy, but people are like, well, what about the double switch? And you want to have all these things in the NL that you don't get in the American League. Who freaking cares? Because when you pay a pitcher $20 million a year to pitch, I don't want to see him up there hacking away like he's swinging a garden hose at a baseball, right? For every Bartolo Colon going deep and for every Madison Bumgarner, you know, shot that we've seen, we've seen a thousand dribblers. Or a thousand times where a a pitcher has not even been within a foot of connecting with the baseball. So if this is the death kneel for uh, the DH, right, or the non-DH in the National League, I'd be all for it. All right, next question here. I'm currently going crazy during quarantine. Give me stuff to watch, read, and listen to. Okay, so uh, I'll give you a bunch of stuff here. So this podcast, I mean, hey, there's over 120 episodes out there now. So how about you check in on the podcast every week? We got you cared for there. But some other podcasts, uh, there's the Hold These Truths podcast. It's a new podcast from uh, Representative Dan Crenshaw out of Texas. And then also the Grounded podcast. So that's Jocko Willink. And um, it's just another one of his podcasts, but that one's way more casual. They talk about jujitsu. Dean Lister's been on there. You know, he's He's got Echo Charles on there, so that's an interesting one. A few books, um, some you've heard me talk about, some you haven't. The Professor in the Cage by Jonathan Goschel. Uh, that was the book of the year that I read last year. There's The Cross of Christ by John Stott. I have not read that one yet. These Actually, these last three I haven't read, but they're immediately on my to-read list. The Cross of Christ by John Stott. That has been recommended to me by about a thousand people. So that's one. And then Dan Crenshaw again, he just released a book called Fortitude. So that one seemingly has a lot of information that you guys would dig. And then Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs. So uh, since I'm about to have a boy, bring a boy into this world, I think that would be beneficial and I'll make sure all those books are in the show notes for you. Uh, for music, obviously last week, and you you saw the new uh, intro music here, we've got the new August Burns Red album, album Guardians, so check that out. Um, for any of you that are a little bit more into worship music, but maybe don't like some of the crappier worship music, uh, Shane and Shane, they have an album they released several years back called Psalms Volume 2, so that's probably the best worship type stuff that I get into is that. And then uh, May He Rest in Peace, but the great, great Bill Withers passed away here recently, so uh, do yourself a favor and uh, dust off the old album with him and check him out. Uh, some movies that I've watched recently that uh, have been sticky. Joker, I thought was fantastic. It's incredibly dark, uh, but I, I thought it was a fantastic rendering of the Joker. Uh, and then Only the Brave. So this is a, a movie, uh, a James, I think his name is Brolin. Uh, anyway, uh, he plays Thanos. <laughs> so that guy, uh, he's basically, they, they talk about these hotshot uh, firefighters and all that. So I thought that was a very fantastic movie. And for television shows, uh, apparently if you watch anything other than Tiger King right now, you're a weirdo. So watch Tiger King. There you go. All right. Next question here. Who would win in a fist fight, Abe Lincoln or Gandhi? Uh, okay. So thanks to the guy that uh, sent this very, very serious question. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Gandhi was a punk. He would get knocked out quick. Abe Lincoln's got that reach. He's got the built-in face guard with the beard. He's destroying Gandhi. Next question. All right, here we go. What are your thoughts on the stock market fluctuations? What does it look like a year from now? So, well, I mean, gosh, if you can predict the market, uh, no one would have a podcast. You'd be sitting in the Amalfi Coast in your you know 100-foot yacht. But uh, like I already said earlier in the podcast, typically in an election year, you have a stagnant market. Uh, it goes down maybe a little bit. Um, the market 
can't really continue to go down. Like we lost all of our Trump administration gains, but we've seen some rebounds over the last several weeks uh, because of the the idea that the coronavirus stuff isn't as bad as we thought it was and that we're going to be able to get back to normal. Uh, I think for a lot of people, guys, if you're in your 30s and 40s right now and you got you know multiple decades until you retire, don't really worry about what you get on your statements for your IRAs and, and your 401ks and all that. For those of you that are a little bit closer to retirement, you know it's tough because we've had unprecedented growth uh, over the last decade, you know, we had the slowest recovery from a, um, from a downfall in the market from a recession, uh, during the Obama administration, but everything took off like a rocket ship with Donald Trump. So you can say that that's Trump's doing, you can say it's Obama's doing and Trump just kept it going. I don't really care what you say, but we don't typically have 10 plus years of prosperity. There is a recession at some point. So even before COVID-19, there was going to be a recession. There was something that was going to happen to basically correct the market. We've kind of had a, an influx of a, a market correction with the coronavirus stuff. So who the heck knows, man, a year from now, I, I would expect it to be better but can't be sure. Next question. As a Christian, how do you balance living by faith in Jesus Christ and prepping for your future problems? Um, okay. So it's kind of like a Christian prepper thing is I'll, I'll, I'll change the question. Is it okay to be a Christian prepper? The thing about it is, is I do think it's okay because the people that are just like, ah, I don't need to buy life insurance. God's going to take care of my family. God can certainly do that. And one of the ways that he's provided you that one of his provisions has been the invention of life insurance. So yeah, if you were to die and you're the breadwinner for your family and your family only has a couple of months worth of cash on hand, yeah, let's get you some life insurance. Because guess what? If you don't have life insurance, then it will take some sort of intercession to have your family taken care of. It'll be the church taking care of them or their family or some charity or something like that. Um, same thing, like if, if you have food, if you have some food that'll last a few years and it's in your storm shelter or in the top of your pantry or something like that, just in case we have a, a situation where, where, you know, we have a, a, a lack of food going around, something happened there. Like, yeah, I think that's completely okay. I don't think you can find a, a legitimate biblical reason why you shouldn't prepare for your future. Otherwise, we wouldn't have food at all in our pantry. We would just wake up every morning, go outside and stick our hands out. Be like, all right, God, I'm hungry. I just think about the practicality of that. And the same thing we've seen with this whole COVID-19 thing is we've seen that businesses and families are really crappy at financial planning. I mean, I know this intimately because I've talked to, you know, hundreds of families about this exact thing, but you see these businesses that, you know, within a week or two of being shut down, they're out of business. I mean, by the end of the year, we're going to start to hear numbers on the bankruptcies that have been filed and it's going to be astonishing that no matter what the government does to prop these businesses up, there just wasn't liquidity there. And the same thing with families. Like if you have a mom and a dad and they were both working and both were let go or furloughed during this time and they haven't gotten that government check yet, you know, they don't have enough money to, to do things. There, there are these food banks that have, you know, miles long lines outside because people don't have food. And, and I'm certainly not dogging these people, but part of that is planning. Part of that is saving money for a rainy day. That, that's where I think, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey says a lot of really financially illiterate things, but one of the things is having a thousand dollars in the bank, having three to six months rainy day fund before you start doing any of the sexy financial stuff. Yeah. This is one of those moments because if you and your wife both lost your jobs on the same day, but you had six months worth of have to bill money and by have to bill money, I mean, if you both lose your jobs the same day, get rid of Apple music, get rid of Netflix, get rid of any of your subscriptions, just, just groceries and paying the mortgage and, and stuff like that. If you've got six months ready to go, you're not freaking out. That doesn't mean chill out for five and a half months, right? But you're not freaking out. And so I think it's absolutely a good thing to be prepared for future problems. I don't think there's a problem with that at all. Next question here. What is your current favorite bourbon? Uh, I just tried Buffalo Trace recently and it goes straight to the top of my list. So yeah, certainly Buffalo Trace is a good one. So the favorite, my favorite bourbon that I've ever had, and it's ruined my palate, is uh, Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve 20-year-old. And some of you are like, Kyle, don't you mean the 23-year-old? No, I do not. So I've had the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old Lot B. I've had the 13-year-old Rye, the 15, the 20, and the 23 for my money, the best, the second best whiskey on the planet behind Lagavulin 25 is Pappy Van Winkle 20 year old. That is the best bourbon that I've had. It's got an overwhelming amount of, um, 
kind of a pipe tobacco aroma and uh, kind of red berries is on the palate. I really like cherries. And so that kind of has a red berry finish to it. Um, if you don't wash out your glass or pour something else in it immediately, an hour or two later, you can go back to your glass and it'll still smell really, really good. It'll smell like, uh, like you, you just had the, the liquid in there. And so that is an absolutely fantastic whiskey, but that is a whiskey that, uh, not many people are going to be able to ever try. So, um, another one that used to be my quote unquote daily drinker was Weller Antique 107. Uh, that has become incredibly hard to find. And so for any of you guys that are looking for, okay, I just need a bourbon that I could walk into my liquor store and find a bourbon that you can likely find just about anywhere is Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. So not not the regular Woodford Reserved, but the actual Double Oaked. Uh, that is a special whiskey to me. That's actually the first bourbon that my dad ever bought me as a gift. And so as long as they make that whiskey, I will have it uh, in my house. I will have it available and ready to drink. So those are some for you guys to check out. Uh, the next question here is what is your first stop after quarantine? I'm going to, I'm going gun shopping, picking up a shotgun and a new Glock. So apparently this guy's going to the gun store. Uh, for me, my, my first stop after quarantine is like, I kind of talked about earlier. It's going to be the jujitsu gym because I mean, I've still been going to the grocery store. You know, I've been able to work, uh, at a home office. I don't have to have a physical office. I need to go you know, everything that I needed to get to prepare for this quarantine, I got before the quarantine really hit. Right. And so, uh, for him, Hey, good, good luck to you. I hope you get a great shotgun. Um, and I hope your, your Glock works out fine. I would suggest the Sig Sauer, you know, you might check it out if you haven't had one before. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go into, go into the jujitsu gym and I'm going to get after it. A couple of questions left here, guys. Next one here. What's your personal preference for working out morning or night? Mine is early morning, 100%. So, uh, me and this guy would get along great because, uh, I prefer to work out in the morning. Now, let me be clear about something. I would not consider myself to be a morning person. I, I'm more of a night owl. I, I can work well into the evening and, and do stuff that, you know, require, requires a lot of brain power or concentration. I can do that. But the thing about it is, is for those of you guys that are after work workout people, I would ask you this. Over a month, not a normal, you know, in a normal month, not a quarantine month, but in a normal month, how many workouts do you miss a month? Because you were supposed to work out after work, but you get a call, honey, you know, the, the toilet's making a funny noise. Can you, can you, can you just come right home and check it? I'm afraid something's going on or honey, like, oh, you just been gone. And you know, I've been gone. We both been so busy. Can we just stay in tonight? Whatever. And I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm picking on women. I'm certainly not, but just things come up. You know, you feel some jittering in the car on your way to the gym and you're thinking it's a transmission. So you go home to take a look, whatever the situation may be. The thing is, is when you work out later in the day, you are significantly increasing the chances that you won't actually make it to the gym, especially for most of you guys that don't have a home gym that you've got a whole bunch of built in excuses because you have to drive somewhere to use somebody else's equipment to work out, which I would highly suggest you do the opposite and get stuff to work out at home. But I digress just a bit. The thing is, is when you work out early in the morning, it's just you, baby. Typically, especially if, 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 even if you work out at a gym, there's not a whole lot of people in there early in the morning. There's just not regardless of the gym you go to, but I prefer to work out in the morning because I don't want to get out of bed at five 30 or six or, or whatever time it is. I don't want to get out of bed, but I don't have a whole lot of excuses. I roll out of bed. I put on my clothes. I walk about 20 feet. I'm in my garage. I'm in my gym. I'm ready to go. And then you're done about an hour later. And then you move on with the rest of your day. And so around, you know, 10 or 11 in the morning or three or four in the afternoon when your day starts to get away from you. Well, you've already checked the workout box. You've already ran, you've already lifted, whatever the situation is, whatever you like to do, you've already checked the box. So I could not be a bigger advocate for working out early in the morning. Guys, last question of the day here. What resilience advice do you offer to men greatly affected by the current epidemic? Um, so what the COVID-19 pandemic has done, uh, obviously a couple episodes talked about what I feel like it's done to us as people. So go back to that if you want to get some more thoughts here. But the advice that I would give to all of you right now is in some way, shape or form, even if you're in an insulated business where you're not being directly affected by the downturn in the economy, you're still as busy as you've ever been or whatever the situation may be, we're all going to be tested spiritually, mentally or physically. So for some of us, you know, we're going to be tested spiritually because, you know, an atheist is going to make the argument like, oh, how could there be a good God? And how could there be hundreds of thousands of people who die of a virus? You're going to have to reckon with that. For mental resilience, some of you guys uh, have lost your jobs and you're going to have to uh, overcome the thoughts and ideas that you should just sit at home and play video games and, and, you know, just let the government take care of you or just, you know, things will work itself out, whatever, whatever that means. You're going to fight against that. Uh, some of you will have some physical issues. Some of you 
you know, for whatever reason, you can't work out at home how you normally do. So you're having to adjust to do push-ups and pull-ups and air squats and stuff like that. So you'll, you'll have to adjust physically, but also for some of you, you're going to get sick. And for some of you, maybe you're going to have family members get sick for, for some of you, maybe your family members are going to pass away from this. And it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And there's not a whole lot I can say really to deal with that. Aside from the fact that I remind you that you should focus on resilience and not strength. Strength always wanes. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk about strength is good one day and bad the next. If you expend a lot of your strength in this hour, the next hour, you won't be as strong. That's just kind of how it works. But you can always be resilient. You can always have that ability to bounce back, that ability to look at your circumstances in the face and be like, nah, you're not taking me out today. And guys, there's a whole lot of stuff happening that's outside of your control. Your business has been shut down because the government said that you weren't essential. Your kids are at home. Your kids suck. And you're, you're staring at your bad parenting right in front of you because you're around your kids for 16 hours a day when they're awake. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. But you can be resilient. But just focus on resilience, not strength. That would be the advice I would give you. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, the links I've got for you, I've got another link uh, to the August Burns Red Guardians album. So you can check that out. Definitely want you to listen to that. And then the four books, I've got links for you here. The four books I talked about earlier, The Professor in the Cage, The Cross of Christ, Fortitude, and Boys Adrift. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen. And please, please, please share this on social media. Also, guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak to your team at your men's event on your podcast, hit me up info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. I need enough-